If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open them up to James chapter 1. Over the next few months, we, are, we will be looking verse by verse through James chapter 1, uh, through, through the book of James, rather, the, the epistle of James, technically. You can find that book in your Bible just after the book of Hebrews, uh, towards the back of your Bible. James is known by historians as James the Just. James the Just, because of his supreme devotion to righteousness. The letter that James wrote, uh, the, the letter was written by the younger brother of Jesus, the younger half-brother of Jesus. He's mentioned several places in the New Testament, including the Gospels and the book of Acts, and even Paul referred to him in the book of Corinthians. The Gospel of John tells us a bit of the backstory of who James is. John chapter 7 verse 5 says there was a, a conversation that was happening between Jesus and his brothers. And in John, in John chapter 7 verse 5, we read these words. It says, for not even his brothers were believing in him. Meaning this, that James was not a believer, that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. He was not a believer. He would not have been called a Christian. But then something miraculous occurred. When Jesus died on the cross, he was then resurrected from the grave. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that he appeared to Peter, and it refers to him as Cephas. He appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to the apostles. He appeared to over 500 people. And then Paul records that the risen Christ appeared to James. So listen, if you are James and you aren't a believer in Christ, but then you watch you hear of James, or you hear of Jesus suffering on the cross, and then you see the risen Christ come back from the dead. You see him before you. Well, that'll make a believer out of you. In the book of Acts chapter 1, we then see James in the upper room before Pentecost. The Bible says that the apostles were there, and Mary was there, and, and Jesus' brothers were all there in the upper room. James would go on to moderate the Jerusalem council that we went through last year in Acts chapter 15, he was a leader in the Jerusalem church, a big leader in the Jerusalem church, and he wrote the letter which bears his name. The book or the letter of James is incredibly practical and in incredibly relevant. I get so tired of people trying to make the Bible relevant. Listen, we don't have to make the Bible relevant we don't have to do anything to make the Bible relevant. The Bible always is, always has been, and always will be relevant. We don't change the Bible to fit our changing culture. No, we change our lives to align our lives with what the Bible says. The Bible is the authoritative, inerrant, inspired, infallible, and relevant Word of God. And it gives us instructions on how we can live to please God. And the book of James demonstrates this in such a very clear way. James writes to a people who are struggling mightily. They're struggling in their personal lives, struggling in their relationships. They're struggling with each other. He writes to a people who failed to practice what they preached. They failed to live out their faith. He writes to a people who struggled with gossip, to a people who struggled with worldliness. He writes to people just like you and just like me. In the book of James, there are 54 different imperatives. An imperative is a, is a command. So think of it like a do this, don't do that. 54 different times, James says, do this thing or, or don't do that thing. The big theme in the book of James, the big theme is this, how to mature 
in your faith and how to live out your faith. And I've got really sobering news for you this morning. The only way that you can mature in your faith, the only way for you to grow in your faith is to struggle, to struggle mightily. The only way that you can grow in your faith is to experience difficult trials, hard days, long nights, days where, where you aren't quite sure if you're going to make it or not. You should know that. And it's my job as the pastor to tell you that. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of Jesus himself. You know the verse, John 16, Jesus said this, In this world you will have, finish it for me, trouble. In this world you will have troubles. You will struggle in this life. And knowing that prepares you for the struggles that are coming. Now you are the brave ones who got out today. I'm guessing no one, did anyone in the room go to the Chiefs game last night? Nobody. Did anyone in the room think about going to the Chiefs game last night? Nobody. I thought about it for about 10 seconds until I checked the weather and verified that it was colder than a polar bear's toenails outside. And I don't even think polar bears have toenails, but it was frigidly cold. Did you watch the game last night? I don't know how some of those guys, I think Nick Bolton was warming up without a shirt on. That guy's psycho. I don't know how those guys did this. But listen, if I had decided to go to the game, I could have bought tickets. We could have all gone for 30 bucks a piece. If I had decided to go to the game, I would have been well prepared for the struggle that I would have had to endure. I would have wore two or three pairs of long johns, my big heavy car hearts, four or five different hats, three or four pairs of socks, and I still would have been cold, but I would have been prepared because I had been warned about it beforehand. Everybody knew it was going to be cold. That's what James does in his letter. He writes his letter telling us that life is going to be a struggle, and so you must be prepared. Life will be a struggle, so you must be prepared. In fact, as I say that, and I look out, and I know many people are home today, I know that right now, so many of you are facing very real, very heavy, very deep struggles. Some of you are facing some heavy health concerns. You're facing broken bones and cancer and heart issues. Some of you are struggling with health issues. Some of you are facing big-time financial issues. You aren't quite sure how you're going to pay the bills next week or if you'll have a job next month. Some of you are facing relational issues. You've lost a relationship, a child or a parent has abandoned you. And you're wondering, in the midst of all of your struggles, you're wondering, does God really care? Because if he did, why would I be going through this thing? Does he really Care. And I am here to tell you, based on the authoritative word of God, that yes, he does really see you in your trial. And yes, he really does care. And he really does love you. And he has a specific purpose for you in your trial. And he wants you to know how to prepare for your trials. And one way that we prepare is by having a proper perspective of our trials. When we see our trials from heaven's viewpoint, when we see our trials from, from heaven's vantage point, it helps us approach our trials differently and it helps us prepare for our trials. So today I want to show you quickly from the book of James two results of having the right perspective during your trials. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to stand together as we read James chapter 1. 
beginning in verse 1, and we're just going to read down to verse 4. James chapter 1, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word brings us great encouragement on difficult days by preparing us for those difficult days. We pray that you would do your work with your word here this morning. Ask that you would be glorified. Ask that you'd be magnified and made big here in our presence. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Two results. You can be seated. Two results of having the right perspective during your trials. Number one, the right perspective during trials will give you joy. Now that sounds really weird, doesn't it? It sounds really strange to say the right perspective during trials will give you joy. Trials are not synonymous with with joy. We don't think happy thoughts when we're going through difficult days. We don't think happy thoughts when we're going through heavy struggles. Having joy through your trials, that is, in fact, without a doubt, a, a heavenly act. But listen, we have to understand what James is talking about here before we go on. Look at verse 2 in your Bibles. James says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Consider, that's a math word. Count, your Bible may say. Consider it all joy. Count it all joy. The word for consider is the first imperative, the first do this thing that we find in the book of James. This is not an option. James, the Bible says, God says, when you go through trials, you should consider them a great joy or a whole, complete, total joy. God wants us to count our trials, our difficult days, as a whole, complete, total, lacking nothing joy. And he says, when various trials come our way, the word various there is uh, unique. It's, I remember when I was a kid, I would go to the school supply store, you know, when you get your your, your school supplies uh, before school starts. And I would go to the, to the aisle and, uh, and I would find the crayons. And I remember there was a box of eight. There was a box of 16 colors. How many more do you remember? I think there were 32. Was there 64? Uh, 64 is the highest I can remember. Uh, guess how many colors you can buy if you want to buy a box of Crayola colors today? How many, how many crayons of a different color would be in the box? Any guesses? A thousand, my goodness, no. Way too high, huh? 120, let me show you here. There, here's a picture of all the different colors that you would find in a Crayola crayon box. Ed, you must have 120 crayon box at home, huh? <laughs> Lots of different colors there. There's, there's different shades of red, different shades of orange, uh, different shades of green and purple and Blue. There are a variety of colors in the box. That's the word that James uses in James chapter 1. When you experience a variety of trials, internal trials, external trials, a variety of trials. Now, some of the trials you will face will be common 
to every man, Christian or not, every man saved or not, every woman saved or not, will face sickness in life. They will face financial troubles in life. Those trials are not common to Christians. They're, they're common to all men. But some trials you will face precisely because you name the name of Christ, because you are a Christian. Some of you will experience doubt. You will, be, uh, ex- you will experience lack of, of assurance. Some of you will experience broken relationships because of Christ. Michael just got back from Acuna, Mexico uh, two weeks ago. They gave up their uh, Christmas break. How many people went with you? 28 people went along with Michael to Acuna, Mexico on their Christmas break to, to build a home for a family and more, most importantly to share the gospel with the community that was there. While they were there, uh, I don't know if you mentioned this in your sermon last Sunday, while they were there, a massive COVID outbreak occurred and Olivia actually came back with, with COVID. They suffered because they gave up their Christmas break, went down to serve somebody else, and became very sick in, in the process. Point being, is, here's, here's the point. We will face a variety of troubles, a variety of trials, internal and external. And when we face those, we are commanded by God to consider them a great joy. First, because trials produce endurance. Look in verse 2. The Bible says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because, do you see that word? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now again, your translation may say something different. It may say patience or steadfastness. It may say perseverance. The idea here is not patience in the way that we think of patience, but as John MacArthur notes, it's the, it's the result of patience, which is endurance. To endure something means to persevere, to keep going, to not stop. If I want to run a marathon, (laughs) big if, if I want to run a marathon, I've got a long way to go, 26.2 miles to be exact. If I want to run a marathon, I might start by running today, start where I'm at, and I might get a quarter of a mile in. Uh, Greg and I ran about 12 years ago. I don't think I got 12 years ago, maybe the last time I've run. I don't think I got uh, a quarter of a mile in, but when I was running, I, I remember sounding like a barking horse. That's how much I was breathing and panting, right? Listen, if I want to run a marathon, you start where you are. Maybe this week I can run a quarter of a mile. And maybe in three weeks I can get to a half a mile. And if I keep enduring and keep persevering and keep going on, maybe in a month, two months, I can get to a mile. Maybe in six months I can get to two miles. Maybe in a year I can get to a 5K. And if I keep persevering and keep going and keep enduring, then maybe five years from now I can run in the Chicago Marathon. But it will take deep endurance, great endurance. It'll take lots of perseverance for me to get there. And you say, what does this all have to do with with our faith walk and facing our trials? Listen, when you go through the ringer, when you go through the hardest, heaviest pain that life can throw at you, and you come out the other end of that, praising God. When you endure the hardships of life, the heartache of life, and you come out the other side of that and you're praising God and worshiping Jesus and trusting him every step of the way, it not only builds your faith, but it proves the genuineness of your faith. 
Perseverance or endurance is a defining characteristic of the saved. We persevere. We endure. Listen, if you claim to follow Christ, but you fall away from Him at every trial, then it's likely your faith is fickle at best. Trials, trials are given to you by God in order to help you depend on Him more and lean on Him more and trust Him more and to prove your faith to yourself, to endure. Trials are given so that your faith will be strengthened and they prove our faith. And when we endure, like training for a marathon, when we endure, when we keep training, we get stronger. Listen, when you continue to go in the faith, your faith will grow. When you continue to go in the faith, you will grow in your faith. You will experience what Joseph experienced. You remember him from the Old Testament in the book of Genesis? All kinds of bad stuff happened to that dude. He was left for dead by his brothers. They wanted to kill him, but instead they left him for dead. Wound up being sold into slavery, betrayed by his boss. His wife spent time in prison, falsely arrested, falsely accused, falsely imprisoned. And then he finds himself in a position of of leadership. And wouldn't you know it, those same brothers who betrayed him wind up standing before him begging for food. And listen to what James, or listen to what Joseph says when, when, when he sees his brothers and his brothers recognize that he is Joseph. He said this, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. In other words, Joseph had a heavenly perspective of the trials that he endured. He knew that trials produce endurance, and he was able to say that God used all things for good, even the bad things. God used all things for good in his life, even and maybe especially the trials that he had to endure. Listen, the right perspective during trials will give you joy. Secondly, The right perspective during trials will make you mature. Look at verse 4. James goes on to say this. He says, Let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be complete, lacking nothing. That is to say that perseverance is the producer of maturity. Maturity is the byproduct of perseverance. You will never grow in your faith if you never experience trials. You will never know that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. I know that's cliche, but it's so very true. You will never know that Christ is all you need until you go through a trial and realize that Christ is all you have and that he sustains you and that he he enables you to endure. But don't misunderstand. It's not the struggle. It isn't the struggle that makes us mature. What is it? What does your Bible say? Not the struggle that makes you mature, but what? The endurance, persevering through the struggle, that's what makes us mature. We see this all throughout nature. Anybody have a pearl necklace at home? Oh, Carla does. Susan does. You know how pearls are made? A little, uh, a little piece of sand gets into the oyster, and the oyster has, a, has this irritation inside of it. And it begins to wrap this irritating, this trial, begins to wrap it with this substance called nacre, N-A-C-R-E. And that becomes eventually this beautiful pearl. There would be no pearl if there wasn't an irritation, if there wasn't a trial 
in the oyster's life. There's the example of the butterfly. I call Mason a butterfly. You want to know why? Because he only emerges from his cocoon to get food and go back into his cocoon. So when he comes out of his room, we always say, uh, here comes the butterfly emerging from his cocoon. A butterfly, when it's wrapped in the cocoon, if you, if you take the, the butterfly and free the butterfly too soon, guess what you've done to the butterfly? You've killed it. Because the, the butterfly begins to develop strong wings, strong muscles as it endures and breaks its way out of the cocoon. Without that, you kill the butterfly. A mother bird looks harsh at times. Because the mother bird often has to kick her baby bird out of the nest at an early age. But she knows that if she doesn't do that, the baby bird will never fly. And if the baby bird never flies, it becomes a predator for a larger bird or something else. It's true for everything around us. That trials produce endurance and trials cause us to grow up. It's true for everything around us. So why would we not think that it's true, that it's true for us? It doesn't mean that every day of your life will be a trial. Your life's not doom and gloom. There's a season for everything. Winter is going to end one day, and all God's people said, Amen. man, it's going to enter, it's going to end and enter, and spring is going to enter. Uh, winter's going to end and spring's going to enter. That, that rhymes. Everything has a season, including your trials. Your trials have a season. Not every day will be bad. You will come through the other end. You will have seasons of trials and you will have seasons of tranquility. But your job as a believer in Christ, your job is to have the right perspective during your trials. Know they're coming. Be prepared. Know they're coming. And when they come, view them as God views them. Because trials produce perseverance. And perseverance through trials make you mature. I want to close with two two different illustrations of perseverance. First, let me share with you the story of Ludwig von Beethoven. You know him, one of the greatest composers of all time. He wrote Symphony Number no. 5, which is... Dun-dun-dun-dun. Uh, Does that sound right? Did I nail it? Dun-dun-dun-dun. You'd recognize it if you heard it. It's a, it's a tremendous symphony. Uh, Beethoven had an incredibly difficult life. He suffered with respiratory issues deep depression, inflammation in his body, including, including his eyes and his joints, cirrhosis of the liver, alcoholism, kidney problems, abdominal issues, severe stomach issues. He had a variety of troubles. Some he brought on himself and others were just brought on by life. When he was 28 years old, he began to notice that he was, he was losing his hearing. And by the time he turned 45, he was 100% deaf, unable to hear anything. Now, I don't know much about music, but I do know that you have to listen. In fact, if you ever listen, if you ever watch when I sing, you'll always see Trudy pull at her ear because she's telling me to listen for the tune, but the joke's on her. I don't even know what a tune is, so I can't listen for it. Listen, you have to be able to hear if you're going to be in music at all, be involved in music, be a composer, you got to be able to, to, to hear. By all outward observations, Beethoven's career should have been over at the age of 45. The trial of being deaf should have completely ruined his career. But you know what he did? He took a metal rod and he put it on his piano, figured, fixed it to his piano. And when he played the piano, he would 
bite down on the metal rod. And by biting down on the metal rod while he played the piano, he could hear the music that he was playing, a technology that we know today as bone conduction. They actually sell bone conduction earphones. Beethoven should have been done. Being a deaf composer of music is not a thing. But after that, after the age of 45, Beethoven went on to not only orchestrate uh, music, but he went on to write music. He wrote Symphony Number no. 9 after he was deaf. Beethoven took his greatest trial and turned it into one of his greatest triumphs. And listen to me, you will face many trials. Maybe you won't go deaf like Beethoven, but you will struggle. And when you do, when you struggle, don't you dare walk away. You find a way to persevere. You find a way to keep going. When your trials come, when the trials come your way, you apply the truth from James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. You know that you consider these trials as joy because they produce in you endurance, and endurance brings you to maturity. Listen, if you're going through a struggle, I want you to hear me cheer you on. I want you to hear me plainly, and I want you to hear your brothers and sisters in the room cheer you on. Don't give up. Do not walk away from Christ. Keep going. Keep enduring the struggle. Keep going. It will mature you and make your faith complete. Keep going. Don't walk away. Keep going and consider those trials a great joy because you know that your trials will produce within you endurance and endurance to have its full effect will create in you maturity. Listen, the only way you can keep going in the faith is if you begin in the faith. So if you don't know Jesus at all, if you're joining us online or you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to come to faith in Christ. He is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he alone saves. If you don't know Jesus, let me beg of you to be saved for all eternity. It's so simple, so easy. All you must do is repent of your sins and trust in the finished work of Christ. And the Bible says that you will be saved. If you don't know Jesus, let me invite you, encourage you, beg you, plead with you to repent of your sins and trust in Christ. And if you do know Jesus and you're going through a trial, let me root you on. Keep going. Don't give up. Endure. If you do know Jesus and you're not going through a trial, join with me in encouraging our brothers and sisters to endure, to keep going, to keep up the fight, to trust him above all things. To God be the glory and all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the day in your word. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness and your, your mercy to us. Uh, Father, we pray that you would do your mighty work here in the hearts of the people in the room, people who are joining at home or listening on the radio. We pray, God, you would by your spirit move in such a, an impactful way in our lives. For your glory alone, we pray all of these things and all God's people said,